0: First of all, we're going to uh, talk this morning about the gift of generosity. And it's kind of a big subject to tackle, something I've um, kind of had rolling around in the back of my mind for a long time. Um, Let me preface this by saying that no one in church leadership put me up to this. So I'm on my own here. (laughs) Um, Also, luckily for me, We are volunteer pastors at this church, so I feel like, you know, if I were paid, I'd have to cushion my words just a little bit. Since I'm not, I can bring out heavy artillery, right? So hang on to your seats. Um, I want to also preface this by saying that on this subject, I don't want to in any way bring guilt or condemnation or pressure. The teaching throughout Scripture on this subject is clear that it's voluntary and it's full. So I want to just say that as you listen through this, I'm going to say some make some pretty strong statements. It is from anything I say. That's not my my heart or the purpose today. The year is 2078. After a long and wonderful life, Caleb arrived at the pearly gates and is welcomed warmly by St. Peter. As he's introductions, Edwin cruises by in a shiny Lexus. Wow, this is awesome, Caleb exclaims. Oh, yes, Peter says. Edwin was very generous on Earth, and we had a lot to work with. Your transportation up here depends on your generosity down there. Would you like to see what we have waiting for you? After a brief wait, an angel appears with a brand new shiny moped. Wait a minute. Edwin gets a Lexus? I get a scooter? That's right. That's all you sent us to work with. Caleb rides off in a huff. A week later, Peter sees Caleb, this time all smiles. So he asked, I guess you're happy now? Caleb says, I sure am. Ever since I saw my pastor, him trying to figure out how to stay on his skateboard. I'm no relationship expert, or I probably wouldn't have shared that. <laughs> I'm also not a financial expert. But God's word is filled with references and instruction on the use of money. And in the subject of generosity, there's so much that could be said, and I'm going to zero in just a little bit on money this morning. We'll talk about other aspects of it a little bit, but we are going to zero in on that. It is one slice of the whole of generosity, uh, one expression of it. It's so easy for us to say and think really lofty things on this subject and not put our money where our mouths are. And that is one of the litmus tests of our convictions on this. The significance of money. Money is mentioned more than 800 times in Scripture. Jesus was, by all indication, completely unconcerned about money. And yet, he frequently mentioned it in his parables and his teaching. Money is amoral. It's in itself. It's not good or bad. There's nothing inherently bad about it. But as I said, it's an indicator. It's of what is in your heart. The more you have, the more it tends to magnify what's in your heart. The only eternal value a dollar has is how it can be spent to impact eternity. Therefore, I would say the only real value a dollar has, the only real value money has is how it can be spent or how it can be leveraged to impact eternity. One of the most accurate, I would argue, one of the most accurate indicators of what's inside your heart is the way you spend your money. If you want to know what your commitment level is to Jesus, it's pretty easy. Check your bank statement, your credit card statement, your expenses. You are surrendered to Jesus no more fully than your finances are surrendered to his direction. We want to look at three aspects of generosity this morning. Generosity of the church, the generosity of God, and end with a call to generosity Looking at generosity in the contemporary evangelical church, I pulled up a few statistics that really blew me away. Uh, 247 million U.S. citizens claim to be Christian. 99 million say they attend church. 1.5 million tithe. Christians in the U.S. are giving at 2.5% of their income. In the Great Depression... It was 3.3% during. So, by these standards, this church is amazing. And we, this is a very generous church. Don't take what I'm about to say next as anything other than that. Let's take a look at generosity at Cleveland. We have, by my count, about 55 wage earning, earning persons in regular attendance. That includes a lot of youth, um, but roughly about 55 wage-earning persons. I'm going to take a wild guess and say that the average income per person is about 45K annually. I have no idea. It's probably higher than that. Um, sorry for if that messes with your head, um, but it, I would guess it is if we averaged it. And if you wanna get more accurate, um, three week three years of tax returns and we'll get it figured out. ten um, percent per week on forty five K would put our weekly offering at 475961 and the average offering in 2019 59. I'm not great with math. Can someone tell me what that means? <laughs> um, but hurrah, you're much better than average. Maybe I'm being too generous here. Uh, 10%, we'll get into that later. That's a number I threw out because obviously we all know where the 10% tithe comes, concept comes from. Let's take a look at the generosity of God. And the first question, I'm just going to open it up for just a second here. If you have a quick answer to this, in what ways have you experienced God's generosity? I think if you're sitting here, you've probably experienced it in some way. Yes. Amen. Wow. yes. the healing of your heart. Amen <laughs> um someone. exactly right we don't even we take for granted the air we breathe amen yeah that's one of the one I, I was saying I mean he just yeah thinking of how much our generosity of our or our lack of it actually starts with our understanding or our misunderstanding of God's nature. It's his nature to give and it's the nature of his love to give generously. I think to the same degree that we've discovered his love, we reflect it, right? James 1.17 says, every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom in this case, let him ask of God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. I know we tend to view ourselves as conservatives. God is liberal. Take that the way I mean it. God is a liberal Generous, abundant, giving Father. And we tend to have this concept of we've got a little bit of truth and we've got some good works and we've created some good things and we need to lock it down and hang on for dear God. He's got more than what we can ever exhaust. God is not generous just because He happens to be loaded. Or because he happens to be the recipient of some windfall inheritance. Or he wants to be known as the world's foremost philanthropist. Or he's concerned that he maintains a really good public image. God is generous because he loves you deeply. And his generosity, his goodness flows out of his nature. In Luke eleven thirteen. if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? 1 Corinthians um, 9, 6 to 15. I'm just going to read it because it's, it, it, Paul's dealing with this, the collection of the saints in Corinth that they were taking to send back to Jerusalem. And he talks through this whole passage so much about the way generosity is supposed to be. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, freely. He has righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will do thanksgiving to God for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Let's take a look. At what is tithing? And I could go into a lot of details, but I think we're all so very familiar with what tithing was in the Old Testament. I'm just going to brief that tithing was a practical, tangible reflection of the two great commandments. God is always first. The first 10% of everything goes to God. And the second one. Love your neighbor as yourself. And there's this concept in. The Old Testament that you live unlike any of the nations around them where the poor and the down and outers are of the and disregarded and rejected. The Israelites threw out with an open hand to the poor. When you saw someone in need, you didn't walk by on the other side of the road. You reached out. You gave of a little of what you had. That was the concept that is throughout the Old Testament, almost more so. We see it in the Old Testament Then in the New Testament, it's sort of assumed. want to say in my reading, um, studying for this, it's believed that the tithing actually amounted, when you took all of the tithes, and this is in addition to the generosity to the poor, if you added everything up, it actually was a lot closer to 20%. So the 10% is the obvious, the number half but when you added the tithes and offerings that were expected under the old law it actually was a lot closer to 20 so i was surprised i had no idea now i want to say here that i do not believe that a christian should tithe i'll say that again i do not believe a christian should. so last testament The new covenant teaches something very different. God is no longer first, no longer just first. Now he is everything. We are not our own. Neither is anything ours. So how much do we give in the new covenant? Of that which has been entrusted to us. And I think the simple answer to that. And maybe a little bit cliche is walk in the Spirit. But I think, is it not safe to say that if we're giving an average of less than half of 10%, we might not be walking in the Spirit in this area? I want to look at some hindrances to giving first one that we cannot ignore in scripture is the snare of wealth and the danger of riches is something that God warns us about repeatedly especially in the new testament a churchgoer statistic for you a churchgoer with an income of less 20,000 annually is 8 times Eight times more light income of over 70,000. Jesus said uh, to the rich young ruler in Mark how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Paul writes to Timothy in chapter six, verse nine and ten. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. James has harsh warnings to the rich. We tend to use whatever money we have access to as insulation. I said earlier it's a magnifying glass, a magnifier of our character, of what's in our hearts. But... We all tend to use money as insurance, insulation, to get us the things we want and protect us from the things we don't want. And we often can insulate ourselves from the will of God in doing that. Especially in the U.S. when you can insure everything. I think we all tend to think of ourselves, don't we, as poor to average. But by every historical standard, we are extremely rich. By every honestly current standard in the world today, we're extremely rich. The second snare I want to look at is the snare of covetousness and greed. James 4.2 says, You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Right along with that is discontentment. Um, Davey said in the video we watched last week, there's a tremendous push in our culture to keep us dissatisfied so that we'll constantly spend. Our economy runs on that, that dissatisfaction, that sense of discontentment. That desire to have something that I'd have yet. Materialism is a huge trap in our culture that affects us. Doesn't it affect us? I think way too much our appetites tend to be bigger than our income. And debt. A statistic on debt is a churchgoer without Personal debt is four times more likely to give. And debt sense of not having enough to be able to give. The snare of false teaching. I want to just point out two things, errors that have been taught that I think tend to affect Our view of generosity and be a hindrance to giving the first one is the prosperity gospel The Prosperity gospel views god as my personal vending machine the result Is we don't give because we are self-consumed the truth is God longs to pour out his blessing on us spiritually and physically But not about us. It's about him and advancing his kingdom The truth is, physical blessings are in no way guaranteed to us in this life. And the truth is, physical blessing, wealth, is no measure of God's favor on our lives. The second snare of false teaching is a poverty mentality. I think that hits a little closer to home for some of us. The poverty mentality views God as impersonal, tight-fisted, Stingy, mean, and as demanding our performance. The result? We are stingy and mean. We tend to only give. We have an earn it mentality where we will only give if we feel someone deserves it or has earned it. The poverty mentality makes it a sin to find enjoyment in the physical blessings of God. God richly gives us blessings that include material blessings to enjoy because he's that good. I think that some of that in some of our circles, there's this weird... um, awkward relationship in our history between a poverty mentality and extreme materialism that is pretty deadly. But I think some of that comes the persecution and taking that identity of I'm a victim, I'm persecuted, scarcity, we need to repent of aligning ourselves with that mentality. Some of the indicators of it is, is just always, there's never quite enough to reach around. But never quite enough to reach around. Never quite enough to give. I would love to be generous, but I just, if I just had a little more, there's all these needs and I'd love to help, but I just, I can't. Let's look at some characteristics of generosity. Giving is the expression of love. The first one is selflessness in Acts 4.34. There's not a needy person in them. And this was when the Holy Spirit came, ignited the birth of the church, and set the new air. And it's incredible in that outpouring of the Holy Spirit how that was reflected in the generosity. We'd all like to have that kind of wonderful church experience, Right? Or would we? There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Second Corinthians nine, seven, each one must give as he has decided, in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Matthew ten eight Freely you have received. Freely give. Love. First Corinthians 13.3 uh, writes, If I were to give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned but don't have love, I gain nothing. This is not a works. This is not a striving. This is not an effort to appear good or to win favor. This is flowing out of my response. To the love that I've received and understood. Faith or faithfulness. James writes in chapter two, verse fifteen: If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says, "Go to them," one of you says to them, "Go in peace, be warmed and filled," without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Kindment. Paul writes to Timothy in godliness with contentment. We brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. Are you? Am I? if mm-hmm. I? <laughs> I hear you. <ya. laughs> But can you imagine living a life coming from Paul so consumed with advancing God's kingdom and so clearly seeing his life through the lens of eternity that it just didn't matter? That's a challenge. Gratitude. Second Corinthians nine eleven. you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. And gratitude, I think, realizing what God has given to us and for that changes the way we relate to those around us. Gratitude is a huge part of this. I'm going to give you a freebie here. Young adults, if you are looking or considering a partner, look for gratitude. It is probably the most, aside from a relationship with Jesus, the most important thing to look for. Develop it in your own life and look for it. So, guys, if she's perfect in all of her ways, but doesn't model gratitude, run. I'm serious. (laughs) Girls, same thing. An appeal to generosity, our opportunity, we are the most exposed in history. We've got internet, social media, photos, videos. We can see the needs of the entire world in our armchair, which is really incredible. We have the most wealth in history. There has never been a country with more wealth than what we are experiencing, and even closer home as a subculture this church is not too bad off we have the most capability in history we have technological advances that are staggering we have cars, air travel Um, it gives us the ability to make our dollars go so much further we don't work Ninety percent of our wages just to get food and put a basic roof over our heads. Most of us do that with maybe 30. I'm going to can't can't talk a sermon in barn shops. So here we go. Barn shop economy has its pros and cons. A large percentage of us, especially you younger people, are here with some connection to that industry. One of the things I think all of us would recognize that is a weakness of that is that there tends to be a lot of discontentment, covetousness, and greed in the industry. Um, For a lot of people, it's easy money, and those two things go very closely together. We're uniquely positioned at this point of incredible abundance economically. And yet, I would say the numbers show that we're kind of letting this slide through our fingers. This is our, let's make the most of it. One of the big things that keeps us, I think, from taking advantage of this opportunity is. Information overload. We can sit in our armchair and see absolutely everything in the world. And it just, we tend to, it's, it's an overstimulation where every time you pick up your phone, there's another GoFundMe. There's another picture of a starving child. There's an, you just can't process it all. And so we, we shut down in the same way. That you would, with trauma, would become numb and callous. That's the way God created us, to live healthy lives. I don't know what all the solution is to that. But I don't want to become numb and callous. And I think maybe part of the solution, maybe a big part, is to be intentional about plugging in to healthy, physical church community. Generosity is, the found, is foundational for community, healthy connection, and a strong society. It's no accident that the big corporations understand the importance of local giving and love to brag about it. I want to read a story my sister wrote a couple of years ago that really touched it, hit me at a point of numbness and callousness and kind of broke through my thick skin She writes, I really love a good, strong, thickly padded comfort zone. But today, stepping outside of that was the best part of my day. Not the easiest, but the best. I was driving in four four packed lanes of traffic and decided on a whim to stop and help and talk to a disabled man holding a sign asking for help. I've done this before, if I can help out, but I don't remember ever really asking for their story. Today, I sat beside the road on a sidewalk with a total stranger and heard a story. It was the story of a man about my age named Daniel who was sickly strong and normal until five years ago when he began having seizures due to a muscle disease. He nearly died then. And over that time, he changed from his life of addictions to belief in Jesus. The disease has eaten away so much of his leg muscle that he has to wear braces to stand or walk. And he lives in constant pain. Daniel told me he absolutely hates begging, but his wife is between jobs and he needs to make enough that they can stay in a hotel rather. He told me about how rude people are to him. For example, yesterday someone paid him to get a haircut and as a result of having a fresh haircut, people were extra stingy today. Mocking him for acting like he needs money when he obviously had enough to cut his hair. People literally make fun of him, call him a fake steal his backpack, or just ignore him. He prays for all the people who are rude to him and make fun of him because he says before his disease, he was one of those, the kind that are suspicious of everyone asking for help, since some are frauds. Daniel can't talk about his life at all without mentioning how much worse things could be and things he's thankful for, that he's alive, that he has a wife who loves and stays with him, And that he's no longer an addict. This man on the side of the road holding up a sign with braces on both legs. This man who can only stand for a few minutes at a time and has no home. Couldn't stop talking about what he's thankful for. I didn't really have time to think of any problems I'm faced today. Because someone else's need was greater. And that became my focus and adjusted my perspective. God doesn't need your money, but he wants your love. Our calling as Christians is to bring the lavish generosity of it to earth. All of the resources in the universe are at his disposal. The more your love reflects his, the more you understand his love, the more generosity will flow out of your life. I'm gonna I didn't get permission to say this, but CBF doesn't need your money either. God has and will continue to take care of this church's needs. This message, this concept is so much bigger than that. Our desire is to see you prosper spiritually. There's no direct specific mandate that I see In the New Testament to give to your local church rather than as opposed to other charities. I would say it's a clear pattern in the New Testament. And I want to mention that. Back up a minute. I want to mention that. You are this church. You are the church. You're God's child. The money that you've been entrusted. To. I know we're a family, we're a church of, of younger families and youth largely here. And I just want to say to younger people, I think it's often easy for us to feel, us, <laughs> that was smooth, to feel like the older people kind of have it figured out and they're leading the way and we just slide along. But you are the ones that will decide, that are deciding whether you want to be part of an average mediocre church or a church that is filled with the Holy Spirit and alive and thriving. That's up to you. And I would just say if you feel like this is not a good place, a safe place, to give, just as a wild number, and it doesn't have to be this, but to give 10% of your money. I would say you should seriously ask why you feel that way. And I would challenge you, I don't, please, I'm rid of anyone. But you need to be plugged into a church where you feel enough connection and enough ownership that it's a privilege to do that. I'm not nearly as concerned about where you're giving as I am that you are giving, and that you understand generosity. None of us are guaranteed next. Is your time? Make the most of it. He's no fool. Uh, go back through here to who gives up what he cannot keep to gain, what he cannot lose.